If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to continue the sermon series that we started last Sunday, Music That Changed the World. You know, this is a sermon series that we've brought back a few different times now over the last couple of years, and it's one that I look forward to every year. My background is actually in music. I got a music degree from Oklahoma City University. But, you know, I think music has this special ability to touch our souls. It has this special effect on our lives that regardless of where we come from, what our upbringing is like, or what language we speak today, music still has the ability to speak to us. It really is sort of the universal language. And so I've enjoyed going through this sermon series the last couple of years, and as we've looked at all different types of music, from sacred to secular, music that spans all different generations and centuries, and yet all of it, has had some kind of impact on changing our world, helping to change our perspectives and the way that we look at life. Well, this morning I wanted to continue this sermon series by looking at the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It was written nearly a hundred years ago now by a man named Thomas Chisholm. When Thomas Chisholm uh, was born, it was back in 1866 in Franklin, Kentucky, this little small town. He was born in a very humble home. It was a log cabin And he never really got uh, much of a formal education, nothing past middle school. And yet he was a very bright, very intelligent young man. And so at the age of 16, he actually became the school teacher in town there in Franklin. Later on, he would develop a passion for writing, and he would get into the newspaper industry. He worked for several different newspapers around Kentucky, but it was as he was working for the newspaper that he met a man who would have a profound impact on his life a man by the name of Henry Clay Morrison. Henry Clay Morrison was the president of Asbury College and Seminary, a seminary that still exists to this day and a place where many Methodist ministers come out of. Well, Henry Clay Morrison would have such an impact on Thomas Chisholm, would really become sort of a pastor to him, helped him to grow in his faith with Christ, develop a relationship with God. And it was Thomas Thomas Morrison who helped Thomas Chisholm find his own calling into the ministry. It was Thomas Chisholm who got ordained eventually as a Methodist minister and began to serve in a local church in Kentucky. He had such a passion for the local church, a passion for helping others to know the love of Christ and what it meant to grow and deepen their faith in Christ. 
Well, as he got into this, Chisholm had experienced several different health difficulties throughout his life. And after just one year in the Methodist ministry, he had to give it all up because his health issues came back. He ended up having to move with his family up to Indiana. And there he would spend a period of time recovering and trying to get well. And he was devastated by it. He loved being in ministry. But because of no fault of his own, he could no longer do that. Eventually, they would move up to New Jersey, where he would become an insurance salesman. But even while he was there, he never lost his passion for the church. He never lost his faith in Christ. And so he got back into his old habit, his old gift of writing, and he started writing poetry. And it was there that he would write more than 1,200 different poems in his lifetime. More than 800 of those would be published as hymns. It was later in 1923, when Chisholm was now well into his 50s, that he wrote the poem that we now know as Great is Thy Faithfulness. I want to read you the the words to this poem. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. He would write this poem in 1923 and he sent it to a friend of his who was also a Methodist minister and a musician, a man named William Runyon. And when William Runyon read the words to this poem, it moved his soul. He was so touched by it that he wanted to set it to music and turn it into a hymn. Later on in his life, reflecting back on that experience, he would write about it. This particular poem held such an appeal that I prayed most earnestly that my tune might carry over its message in a worthy way. And the subsequent history of its use indicates that God answered prayer. The words to this were moving. To be reminded of God's faithfulness, of the love and the mercy of God that comes to us new and fresh each morning. Well, after William Runyon wrote the the music to go along with this and to turn it into a hymn, he introduced it to a friend of his, a man named Dr. Will Houghton. Dr. Houghton in that time was the president of the Moody Bible Institute up in Chicago, Illinois. And when he introduced it to Dr. Houghton, Dr. Houghton fell in love with it. It quickly became his favorite hymn, and almost every single week in chapel services there at the school, he would request that they sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Well, Dr. Houghton also started a radio program for the Moody Bible Institute. They would bring in all kinds of different preachers and teachers to put on these radio shows, and he'd bring in different uh, guest musicians and singers to sing songs. It was in those early days that Dr. Houghton found this relatively unknown young Canadian singer at that time, by the name of George Beverly Shea. Dr. Houghton invited Bev Shea to come and be a part of this radio program. And when he did, little did anybody know at that time 
that one day Bev Shea would have a great nephew who would become a Methodist minister here in Oklahoma City named Reverend Phil Greenwald. Bev Shea would go on to become the voice of the Billy Graham Crusades. Billy Graham was studying at the nearby Wheaton College there in Chicago, and he would hear Bev Shea singing on the radio. He went to him and he invited him, and he said, I'm going to go start this new evangelism ministry, and I'd like for you to come with me. And so together they would go and do hundreds of different crusades all around the world, sharing the gospel message of Christ. Well, it was in 1954 that they were taking a crusade to London, England. And there, for the very first time, Bev Shea would sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, on one of their crusades. And from that moment, the hymn began to catch like wildfire. It became incredibly popular. It began to spread all around the world and became one of the most famous and popular hymns that Bev Shea would sing. Over the course of the next 60 years, he would sing this hymn at 417 different crusades. More than 185 countries around the world and more than 120 million people. Now this hymn touched the hearts and souls of so many millions of people because it's a message that we need to be reminded of. God's great faithfulness. The love and the mercy of Christ that comes to us new and fresh each day. Now this hymn has become one of the most popular hymns in church history. It's been recorded hundreds of different times by different artists. It was back in 2015, you may remember, that on the television show, The Voice, season 9, there was a young man named Jordan Smith. It's a singing competition show, sort of like American Idol. But Jordan Smith came onto the show to compete, and one of the first songs that he sang was, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And when he did, this song immediately went to number one on the Billboard and iTunes charts. Now, when was the last time that you heard of a church hymn making it to number one on the billboard charts? And yet, that's exactly what happened. It became popular all over again. People began to sing it and remember the message of God's faithfulness in our lives. Now, what's interesting about this hymn is that when Thomas Chisholm wrote it, it really came out of his everyday, ordinary life experience. You know, many of the famous hymns that you and I think about were written at a time when it was a major life event for somebody whether something really great that happened or maybe it was something really tragic that happened. But in this case, it wasn't some major life event. It was just everyday life that Thomas Chisholm experienced that led him to write this hymn. He was somebody who had been through the ups and the downs of life. He had experienced the good times and the joy of being in ministry, but he had also experienced the hardships of poor health and having to leave the ministry. And it was in the midst of all of that that he came to find one of his favorite scriptures that would help lead him through all of these times came from the book of Lamentations in chapter 3. And there in verses 22 and 23, he would get the inspiration for this great hymn. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thomas Chisholm found a strength that came from this. To be reminded that no matter what ups or downs in life we go through, in the midst of everyday, ordinary life, we can trust in the faithfulness of God. And it is that faithfulness of God that gives us the strength that we need to make it through, one day at a time, whatever life brings our way. But that strength doesn't come from us. 
It's not because of who we are. It's because of who God is. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to share with his disciples in our scripture passage from today. Our scripture passage comes from John in chapter 14. It's part of what we know as the farewell discourse in John's gospel. It's several chapters here where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's beginning to prepare them for what life will be like when he's no longer physically present with them. Now, in this section, we find some of the most famous and most comforting scriptures in all of John's gospel. It's here in chapter 14 that John would write, Jesus would say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. It's chapter 14 where Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. Later on in chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. It's in the midst of all of this that Jesus must have known what was coming for his disciples. He knew that there would be fear, that there would be uncertainty about what lies ahead and what life would be like when he was gone. And so in the midst of all these scriptures in chapter 14, we find our scripture passage from today where Jesus is there to bring a message to them and to remind them that I will never leave you alone, that no matter what happens, you will always have the gift of God's Spirit, God's presence dwelling within you, that I will not leave you as orphans. Now, the word orphan here is it's an interesting use of it. It's a little bit different than how we might think of it today. Back in the, that time, the word orphan didn't just mean a child who was left without parents. It also was often used to describe a group of people who were left without their leader. Anytime you had a group of disciples who were following a teacher or rabbi or leader of any kind, if something happened to that rabbi or teacher, they would describe those who were left as orphans. And so Jesus is coming to bring a message to his disciples. And he's telling them that even though I will no longer physically be present with you, you will not be left alone. You will not be orphans. Because I will send the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, to be with you. And God will dwell in you and with you. And you will never be alone. And no matter what you face and all of the uncertainties of what lie ahead, you can have strength for today and you can have hope for tomorrow. As we think about this, it raises the question for us. How is it that we can feel God's presence with us? How is it that we can be assured through the midst of everyday life that God is faithful to us? As we think about that this morning, there's three things I want to say. And first, I love this second verse from the hymn where Thomas Chisholm wrote, Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars and their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. It's a reminder that the God we worship, the God we trust in, is the one who put the sun and the moon and the stars in their places. It's the God who ordered the seasons as they are. It's a reminder of what we refer to as the transcendence of God. That God is bigger than anything we could possibly imagine. 
that God is above and beyond it all. That the God we trust in is bigger than all of the problems and all of the things that we experience in the midst of everyday life. And it brings us a sense of comfort and assurance to remember how big God is. We get a glimpse of the transcendence of God in Genesis in chapter 1. There in the creation story, it portrays God as being above and beyond all of creation. It portrays God as being somewhere out in the universe and just speaking things into existence. God speaks and says, let there be light, and there's light. And God begins to speak and separates the waters above from the waters below and separates the land from the sea, and and God speaks and brings all of life into creation. No, it's this transcendent God who seems to be out there beyond and above everything, bringing all of it into existence and into creation. The God that we trust in, the God that we believe in, is bigger than anything we can possibly imagine. You know, it's fascinating that Thomas Chisholm chose a scripture from Lamentations 3 as the basis for this hymn and one of his favorite scriptures. You see, the book of Lamentations was written at a very interesting time in Jerusalem's history. It was written during the time of the exile. We believe it might have been written by the prophet Jeremiah, though some scholars might disagree with that. But either way, it was written by somebody who was witnessing as the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and conquered Jerusalem in the year 586-587 BCE. And it was at that time that the Babylonians came and they ended up destroying the temple in Jerusalem. Now it's hard for you and I to wrap our minds around just how devastating of an experience this would have been for the Jewish people. You see, they believed that this was more than just a city or a place of worship for them. They believed that the temple was the actual dwelling place of God. That that's where God's actual physical presence resided, was there in the Holy of Holies inside the temple. And so now all of a sudden that the Babylonians have come and they've conquered and they've destroyed the temple, it raised this theological crisis for the people. And they began to wonder, if the temple no longer exists, then what does that mean for God? Well, it was in the midst of all of this that the writer of Lamentations is writing. He's writing about his grief and experience of witnessing all of this happen. But it's in the midst of all of that that the Hebrew people came to find what we know to be true about the transcendence of God. That God is not just confined to a physical place. That God is so much bigger than just a temple. That God is the one who is the creator of the universe and is above and beyond it all. And when they came to recognize that, it allowed the author to write and say, God's mercies are new each morning. God's love never leaves us. And even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of hard times, he could still say, great is thy faithfulness. When we come to remember the transcendence of God, of how big God is, it begins to put everything else into perspective. All of the ups and the downs of life that we go through. You may remember it was a little over 40 years ago now that the Voyager satellites were launched into space back in 1977. It was on August 20th that Voyager 2 was launched, and it was actually 15 days later that Voyager 1 was launched. But Voyager 1, because of the way that they launched it, surpassed Voyager 2 before long, and their mission was to be able to go to Jupiter and to Saturn. And they were were going to take pictures and get data and information to see things that we had never seen before. 
Well, Voyager 1 and 2, they went and they traveled there and, and they sent back all kinds of incredible pictures, information and new ideas. Well, they began to send all of this back and after they had accomplished their mission, NASA decided that, that they wanted to continue the mission and send them even further out into space. And so the Voyager satellites began traveling out further than anything that we've ever sent into space before. Well, they were traveling now for more than 40 years at about 38,000 miles per hour. Voyager 1 is now 13.5 billion miles from Earth. If it were to turn around today and travel back to Earth at the speed of light, it would take more than 20 hours to get here. That's how fast they are traveling and how far away they are. You may remember it was back on Valentine's Day of 1990 that NASA was getting ready to turn off the cameras on these two satellites. They were now out past Neptune, and they were uh, getting out there in the farthest reaches of our solar system. They wanted to turn off the cameras in order to preserve energy for other functions on the satellites. But before they did, they wanted to take a couple of last pictures. And so they chose to turn the satellites around and face them back towards the sun. And they took a series of pictures that have become incredibly famous now. They were able to capture a picture of six of the planets in our solar system from a vantage point that nobody had ever seen before. One of these pictures is known as the little pale blue dot. In this picture, it shows the vastness, the darkness of space. And coming through the middle of this picture are a couple of rays of sunshine. And in the middle of one of these rays of sunshine is this tiny pale blue dot that you can barely see. And it's Earth. From a vantage point that we had never seen before. When you look at this picture, it begins to put into perspective just how big our universe is and just how small we are. Well, these satellites have continued to travel out into space. And it was in 2012 that Voyager 1 crossed outside the heliosphere of our solar system. And just this last November in 2018, Voyager 2 crossed the heliosphere. And now both of them are out in interstellar space, further than any man-made object has ever been before. Well, they pointed Voyager 1 towards one of the nearest constellations to us, and that's Ursa Minor. You might know it as the Little Dipper. They've pointed it, and it's heading now in that direction, traveling at 38,000 miles per hour. And do you know how long it will take, scientists estimate, before it gets to the Little Dipper? About 40,000 years. Traveling at 38,000 miles per hour, it will take about 40,000 years to get to one of the nearest constellations to Earth. Now, when you consider this, it leaves you in awe and wonder at how big our universe is. And when you stop and remember that the God we worship is the one who set all of these moon and stars and sun in their place, the one who is above and beyond all of that, it reminds us of just how big God is. It reminds us of who God is. That God is bigger and more powerful than anything that we could possibly experience in this life. It gives us the strength that we need to face today. And so second, in the third verse of the poem, Thomas Chisholm would write, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. 
it was a reminder for Thomas Chisholm that no matter how big God is, no matter how much God is above and beyond all things, bringing all things into creation and existence, God is still present with us. God is still there to cheer us and to guide us through the midst of everyday life. That even as we remember the transcendence of God, we also remember what we call the imminence of God. That despite how big God is, we know that God loves and cares for you and for me. Now, was, uh, we see a, an example of this in, in Genesis in chapter 2. And there we get another creation story, very different from Genesis chapter 1. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, God is portrayed as being imminent, being here on the earth. It says that God was walking through the gardens. And there God bends down and scoops up the dust from the earth and begins to form it into the shape of a human and breathes into it the breath of life. Now, this is a very imminent God, a God who is very personal, who is with us. This is the God that, as the old hymn says in the garden, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. It's not just that God is above and beyond and out there somewhere, but we also trust that God is present with us, that God is imminent, and that we can have a relationship with Christ in our heart and in our soul. That's what Jesus reminded his disciples of, that he would send the Spirit to be with them, to dwell with them and in them. And it was the Spirit that would lead them through all of the uncertainties that lie ahead. We remember that God is imminent. God is always present with us. It reminds me of the psalmist who wrote in chapter 8 of Psalms, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. No matter how big God is, no matter how much God is above and beyond all things, God still cares for us. God is still there to show us love and mercy new and fresh each and every morning. It gives us the strength that we need for today and the hope that we need for tomorrow. I was looking a little bit more and researching about Jordan Smith, the young man who won The Voice back in 2015. It turns out that as he went on through that season, he had several other songs that he sang that would also top the Billboard charts. He had an incredible season, went on to win The Voice, and since that time has produced several other albums. He's done very well for himself. But as I was reading more about him, I found out that he is an incredible young man of faith. After he went on The Voice, he would later go, and I saw an interview that he did with Rick Warren, who's the pastor at Saddleback Church out in California. He went on and he did this interview, and as part of the interview, Rick Warren asked him, he said, how has God been faithful to you in your life? Without even hesitating, Jordan responded, how has God not been faithful? He's shown me love and mercy and forgiveness. God has been present with me always. It's the good news of our scripture. That whatever we go through in life, we never have to go through alone that God will be there to cheer us and to guide us, to be present with us always, to offer us the strength that we need for today and the hope that we need for tomorrow. And so third, the very first verse of the hymn 
Thomas Chisholm would write that line, As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. It's a reminder that who God has always been throughout history, from the very beginning of creation, is who God always will be. The love and the mercy, the forgiveness and the compassion that we've seen from God throughout history, that's what we will always experience from God. We can trust in the faithfulness of God. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he told them, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I will send the paraclete to be with you. Now paraclete was a Greek word and it was often used in a court setting, legal terms. It would describe somebody who was sort of like what you and I would think of as a defense attorney. Somebody who could be there to advocate on your behalf when you couldn't advocate for yourself. Now this was uh, oftentimes how the paraclete was described. But it could also be used outside of court settings to describe anybody who was there to uh, help or comfort in a time of need. So sometimes, depending on what translation of the Bible you're using, you might see it read that Jesus will send the paraclete to be with us. Or sometimes it's translated as the advocate or the comforter or the helper. But all of these words are really summed up in paraclete. And it describes the work of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is saying... I will send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to be with you. And it is this paraclete that will be there to advocate for you and to love you and to comfort you and to help you in your times of need. Now what Jesus points out to them is that the work of the Holy Spirit is not new work. This is the work that God has always done. That what God did throughout the Old Testament for all of his chosen people throughout time, God was there to lead them and to comfort them, to guide them. That's what Jesus did throughout his ministry and his life here on earth. And Jesus is telling them who God always has been is who God always will be through the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. God will always be there to comfort you, to love you, and to guide you, and to help you in your times of need. What goes on then, and you know, you think about your life, you think about the world, and sometimes it's easier to look back with hindsight and see the ways that God has been faithful. Sometimes we get caught up in the midst of life and every day and all that's going on and it can be difficult to pause and find the ways that God is being faithful to us in the moment. And yet when we look back with hindsight in our lives, we can see the ways more clearly that God's grace has been leading us and shaping us and making us into who we are today. We can look back easier with hindsight and see that God has always been faithful. The same thing is true in our nation and in our world The same is true in our church. One of the wonderful things about being a part of a family of faith like St. Luke's is the rich and wonderful history that we share together. You know that this year St. Luke's is turning 130 years old. When you look back over the course of 130 years, it's easy to see how God has been faithful throughout our history. You look back to those early pioneers who founded St. Luke's right after that land run. And they came together and God was faithful to them as they started this new church and built the Tabernacle Church down at 3rd and Broadway. And God continued to be faithful to this church and would lead us forward and continue to grow and expand to the point that we built a new church down at 8th and Robinson. God would continue to be faithful through the years, and the church would grow and expand. And it was then that the church realized they were going to need a new building to continue growing even more. And so we were going to build a new building all the way out here at 15th and Robinson. 
And it was in the midst of that as the church was raising money by selling fried chicken at the state fair in order to build this new church that the church knew God had always been faithful and always would be. And so they made the decision to give a gift of $25,000 to go and start a new Methodist church down in South Oklahoma City, Asbury Methodist Church. The church would continue to grow and expand, and they would see God's faithfulness. And through the years, God would be here and be present in all the missions and ministries that we did. And it was that faithfulness that led us back in the early 90s to take a leap of faith and to go on a mission trip to Ulyanovsk, Russia, at a time when this mission trip would cost about 10% of the operating budget of the church. But we knew that God had always been faithful, and God always would be. And so we went to Ulyanovsk, and since then, two more Methodist churches have come out of that in Russia. It's that faithfulness of God that led us in the early 90s to go on to radio and to television. It's what led us in 1998 to start a new worship service here at St. Luke's called Lifelight. It's that faithfulness of God that led us for more than 15 years now to be doing after-school ministries like Studio 222, Rancho Village, and El Sistema, things that have made such an incredible difference in the lives of so many. It's the faithfulness of God that led that family of faith down in South Oklahoma City to come and be a part of the St. Luke's family of faith, St. Luke's Asbury. And it's what led us five years ago now to take another leap of faith and to go and start a satellite campus, St. Luke's Edmond. When you look back over the course of 130 years, it becomes easy to see the places where God has been faithful, where God's grace and Holy Spirit has been moving in the life of this family of faith. We can see it in our own lives. We can see it in the world around us. And when we remember who God always has been, we can trust that that's who God always will be. I have a picture that hangs in my office. It's one of the first things that I see when I come in every morning, one of the last things that I see when I leave. It's a picture of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, as he's on his deathbed. The story is is that John Wesley was surrounded on that final day by all of his closest friends and family. And they were there that day, throughout the day, worshiping together, praying together, giving God thanks for his life and his ministry. And as it got later in the day, John Wesley gathered the last of what strength he had left. And he lifted up his voice in a clear and loud way and he said, The best of all is God is with us. The best of all is God is with us. Amen. And then he breathed his last. And he entered into the joy of his master. The best thing that we can know is that God is with us. The same God who set the sun and the moon and the stars in their place, who is transcendent and above and beyond all things, is the same God who is present with us, who walks with us and talks with us and tells us that we are his own. It's the same God who loves us and helps us and comforts us in our time of need. And who God always has been, we can trust, is who God always will be. It's what gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Great is thy faithfulness. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.
Amen.